In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A blessed quinquagesima to all of you, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. What a blessed day it is indeed. As you may well know, or perhaps have gleaned from the name quinquagesima, we are now only about 50 days away from Easter. Just 50 days. And this means the liturgical season of Lent is now at our doorstep. The time to prepare and consider how we'll make use of this coming season is nearly over. And we now stand at the threshold of a sacred time of spiritual devotion, a time of repentance and sober reflection on our fallen condition and our great need for Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer. The season of Lent lasts for 40 days leading up to Easter, and it begins on Wednesday of this week. It begins on a day known in the church as Ash Wednesday, and our services for it are special. Out of all the days in the church year, Ash Wednesday is one of the most powerful and enriching. Hopefully you can make it. Join us also, if you can, for food and fellowship before the service that evening. Come and nourish both your body and your soul in that way. Bring a friend, if you like, and enjoy the richness of that day. You won't want to miss it. We have, as I said, still a couple of days left to reflect on our devotion to the Lord, to make an honest, sober appraisal of it, and think how we might deepen it. Indeed, it's fitting for us to do so during Lent. It's fitting for us to repent and to adorn ourselves with humility. It's good for us as Christ's disciples to subdue the lusts of our flesh, to be intentional and active about this. In the coming season, we have opportunity to spend more time in prayer, to lay bare our soul before the one who made it, to know our gracious Lord ever more fully and to be known by him as deep calls out to deep. Indeed, we also have the perfect opportunity to fast at least one day out of the week and listen to the eloquent, persuasive sermon our bodies preach to us. They preach not about our fullness, but rather our spiritual hunger and our great need for the Lord. Truly, there is much to be gained by doing such things this season. For we do so in anticipation of, one of the most important days of the year, days specifically set apart for the remembrance of our Lord's holy passion, his crucifixion and death, and his triumph over the grave. Dear friends, are these sacred days not worthy of increased devotion and preparation? Are they not worthy 
of our respect. They certainly are. Our Lord is worthy of such things. We do well, of course, to remember the sacred teaching of the Holy Scriptures. They are everywhere clear that we can do nothing to merit our salvation. No amount of our good works will earn us our way into heaven. Christ alone is our righteousness before the Father. Jesus and his saving work for us are alone deserving of praise. This is true. Even so, the scriptures are also everywhere clear when they speak of the surpassing beauty of Christian piety, of becoming more like Jesus in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. And in this way, there is much to be gained from bodily discipline and from exercising ourselves in faith. We don't strive to cultivate piety so we can outperform those around us. We don't embrace godly living so we can look down our nose at others. For in doing so, we end up becoming ungodly, the very thing we seek to avoid. Rather, we lay hold of piety to receive more of what our Lord has to give us, that the light of Christ would shine ever brighter in us. Indeed, rather than running after physical beauty, beautiful cars, and beautiful homes, let us instead pursue godliness and seek to have beautiful souls. For our Christian life involves more than merely our minds. Faith includes more than mere information for our intellect. Living faith in the Lord Jesus leaves no part of us unchanged. It encompasses all that we are. It affects every fiber of our being. As St. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our baptism grants us new spiritual life, a life lived in communion with God through the Son, by the power of the Spirit. We are indeed born from above and have been called to take up our cross here below. We've been profoundly reoriented by the love of Christ our Lord. Though we were once entirely self-absorbed, by faith we glory in self-sacrifice. We see the beauty in self-denial. Though we were once completely curved in on ourselves, God has begun turning us outward. It's like therapy from heaven. It's divine rehabilitation of our nature. God is, by His grace, conforming us to the image of His Son. And slowly we're being stretched out, as it were, in the shape of cruciform love.
love towards him and love towards our neighbor. The glory of this love may not seem so impressive now. Some of the early Christians in Corinth didn't think so, apparently. Those to whom St. Paul writes in our epistle text were much more taken by extraordinary spiritual gifts, by dazzling, miraculous works. In the earliest days of the church, the Holy Spirit manifested himself in ways we'd find simply astonishing today. Some were given gifts of prophetic utterance. Others were given gifts of healing or perhaps working miracles. There was indeed a time when the Spirit empowered people to do such things, ultimately for the benefit of the church. And while St. Paul doesn't rebuke the desire for such spiritual gifts, he shows them still a more excellent way, a more beautiful way, the only way that endures into the new age that's dawned. It's the way of love in Christ Jesus. As St. Paul says, it profits nothing to speak in the tongues of angels and of men if he has not love. Indeed, he gains nothing from prophetic powers and knowing mysteries if love is not added. For St. Paul knew that prophecies and tongues would soon pass away. These and other gifts of the Spirit would soon fade, and only faith, hope, and love shall abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. The love of God in Christ Jesus shall not pass away. It shall never come to an end. And St. Paul takes it upon himself to paint a portrait of Christ's character, of who he is at his core. He presents us with an image of how we cannot but wish to be as children of God in him. Christ Jesus is patient. He is kind. He does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing. He bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things, all for the sake of our salvation, for the sake of winning us to himself. Just look and see what he went through on the cross. Behold all that he endured. He did this out of love for his Father, and he did it out of love for you. He did it all so he could have you and claim you as his own. By his shed blood, he paid for all of us, for your sins and for mine. And on the cross, he reveals his heart to you and the heart of his Father in heaven. There is no greater love than that which the Father has shown us in sending forth his Son. We must tremble with awe and marvel that God indeed loves us so.
Who but a madman would reject a love so strong that it makes the mountains look weak? Who could turn away from a love so deep it makes the oceans seem shallow? Truly, how wretched is the slave who despises the grace and mercy of the king. For the Lord of all creation gave us his only begotten son. He gave him not to condemn the world, but that through Christ he might save it. Indeed, Christ crucified for our forgiveness is the highest revelation of God's love. Apart from this, there is no finer image. In Christ, God shows his character and reveals to us exactly who he is. In closing, I'd like to share a story I once heard to illustrate this point. I once heard about a young boy who loved playing in the neighborhood with his friends. He would stay out playing late in the day, and after his parents would call him, he would often come in late for dinner. And the boy's father was displeased with his son's disobedience. So one day, he gave him a warning. He told his son that the next time he came in late for dinner, he would go hungry that night without any food at all. For the father knew the importance of discipline and doing what was right. But above all else, he loved his son dearly and wanted only what was best. The very next day, of course, the boy came in late for dinner once more and sat down at the kitchen table to eat. Only this time, his plate was empty and those of his parents and siblings were all full, brimming with delicious food. And as the boy looked over his empty plate, he began to feel the gnawing pain of hunger and he knew that he had done wrong. He looked up at his father and saw the displeasure in his eyes. The boy knew that he had disobeyed him and would now receive what he justly deserved. But the father loved his son and was deeply moved in his spirit. And as he looked back at his son, his expression softened, and he smiled. And to the astonishment of the rest of the family, the father took the full plate in front of him and swapped it with the empty plate of his son. The father went hungry that night, and his son feasted instead. The boy never forgot what his father had done for him that night and the great love that he had shown him. He always knew what God was like from that moment forward. Dear friends, what is the love that God has shown you? What is your heavenly father like?
Christ be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.